With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. The Trump administration's new restrictions on Americans' travel to Cuba are meant to punish the Cuban government, but others are feeling the pain as well. Cruise lines are rerouting ships around the island, upsetting passengers' plans. And Cuban civilians who've been making money off American visitors are rethinking their livelihoods. Camilo Condis rents an apartment to tourists in Havana and also works at a restaurant. He says this policy will have ripple effects. It's going to affect not only me, but all of the private sector in the country. A big part of the economy for civil society in Cuba comes from tourists. And from there, the money moves around the whole country. That was Camilo Condis in Havana. And we're joined now by Colin Laverty. He runs Cuba Educational Travel, which organizes trips to the island for Americans. Welcome to All Things Considered. Thanks for having me. Have you talked with Cubans in the last day since this policy change was announced? Yeah. um, Unfortunately, the phone is ringing off the hook. And of course, social media is now big in Cuba with more internet. So Facebook and WhatsApp, uh, we're just flooded with messages. And I can say it's a message of concern, of sadness, and to some extent, chaos in terms of how they're going to survive this um, and provide for themselves and their families. I know your company has surveyed hundreds of Cuban business owners. How dependent are they on American tourists? Well, we released a study last week of hundreds of Cuban entrepreneurs, and it was um, quite astounding. You know, over 95% of Cubans said that changes to travel would either harm or greatly harm their business. And 97% said that their earnings were directly or indirectly linked to more U.S. visitors. And then over 50% of those surveyed said that they support five or more members of their family. So you can imagine this is taking food off the table and money out of the pockets of average Cubans that supposedly were trying to help. But earlier restrictions on Americans' travel to Cuba were only lifted a few years ago. Is it really possible that American tourism has become such a crucial part of the economy in such a short time? 
Well, if you see particularly for the private sector, you know, the private sector in Cuba went from less than 100,000 people to over a half a million people. And you that, mean people leaving government jobs and instead driving taxis or renting out their home with Airbnb or things like that? Correct. Uh, graphic designers and barbershops. And so all of these things, the growth of the private sector coincided and was directly linked to more U.S. visitors. And then not only the economic impact, but the message, you know, time and time again, we talk about policies that support the Cuban people. Yet, as we heard from Camilo, the voice of the Cuban person is often absent. They're usually, uh, unfortunately, kind of the political football that's being thrown around in the midst of all these policy changes. This doesn't entirely end the ability of America to visit Cuba. So how much of a decrease do you expect actually to come out of this? We'll just have to see. I think Americans are generally curious about Cuba and they want to go there. So I think in the long term, it'll reestablish itself and, and people will find ways to go to Cuba legally. Well, just explain what those ways might be at this point. There's uh, still a number of categories. You know, the Trump administration eliminated people to people, which is one of 12 categories. But you can still go down for religious purposes, you know, bands that want to perform, uh, sports teams that want to play in a competition. There's a very broad category called support for the Cuban people, where if you go down and interact with independent Cubans, like cultural groups, NGOs, then your trip would be legal. So I think the industry and the American traveler will adapt and figure out a way to continue to visit the island. But in the meantime, you know, Cubans will suffer the consequences. I know it's only been one day, but have you figured out what this is going to mean for your company, your business? Well, we've been around um, for quite some time. And um, I think we'll see a decline, but we're in it for the long run, and we'll figure out how to get through this and become stronger because of it. Colin Laverty runs Cuba Educational Travel, which facilitates Americans' travel to the island. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday June 13, 2019. So I have been told uh, we will very quickly get to the explanation as to why we started with that very recent segment about the new restrictions about travel to the island of Cuba. Brush up on your uh, Espanol. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Our book club reading is more important than watching television. Uh, man. I guess for today's program, especially last time he was with us, he talked about on his job, workplace racism is every Friday, talked about how on his job as a professional athlete, he was scolded about reading literature from the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Reading is more important than watching television. Absolutely. Uh, but the book club is tomorrow. Sundown Towns. James Lowen, Suspected Racist. Uh, his book, uh, We Are Almost Done. Uh, it is fascinating. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about that today. I would strongly encourage listeners, uh, if you know any black people and they have been fortunate to survive to 70, 75 or older, take advantage. Ask them as many questions as you can. You can get, uh, you can get a lot a very constructive information that might not be documented anywhere else. Uh, just speaking to some victims of white supremacy who have experienced seeing things, aspects of white terrorism, talk to them. Some of the very things that we're reading in sundown towns. Wow. You can get confirmed. I told you talking to Neely Fuller Jr. He confirmed almost everything that was in the book and then added a few things extra. We will do that with our guest today. <laughs> 
It is such a pleasure to have him on the program. Again, he was with us back in 2017. Uh, I was telling some of our listeners that I heard him on uh, Bill Roden's podcast, Brothers on Sports. Uh, He did a segment just after the passing of the legend Muhammad Ali. And our guest for today's program was on the panel, and I thought he he added so many uh, just constructive bits of insight uh, about Mr. Ali and the significance uh, of who Muhammad Ali was. And uh, he quoted Mr. Fuller repeatedly in that interview. I would highly encourage folks to check it out. Uh, he had so many great things to say, but just highlighting that uh, if if Muhammad Ali could boil things down to one sentence, uh, one of the last things I think he said Mr. Ali shared with him, it was just be a black man. You don't have to do a whole lot else, even though that will be a lot in the system of white supremacy. But just be a black man. Uh, the black male who is hanging out with us uh, this evening, uh, he was a teammate of Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown. Uh, in fact, played with Mr. Brown in Cleveland, helped them win a football championship for the Cleveland Browns. They have not won a title since. Uh, in addition to that, he worked with Mr. Carl Stokes, the first black mayor of Cleveland. Uh, he was on his Council. We're definitely going to get some information uh, about that, his experiences there. Uh, he just returned from Cuba. How about that? Stepping off the plane. Uh, member of the United States Air Force, uh, a cryptographer specifically. I think that's uh, important because we do talk about codification uh, a lot. Just long list of credentials. Uh, and again, we're so thankful he could share a bit of his time uh, to come back and speak with us. We discussed his book uh, when he was with us the first time. Consider this. It's available on Amazon. You can check it out. Get a copy. Again, consider this. Uh, so thankful he could join us this evening. Our guest, Mr. Walter Beach III. Uh, Mr. Beach, you with us, sir? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, Crystal Keir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I don't, I don't understand what's happening. It was uh, the signal from the background. We can hear you, though. You said you appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've always appreciated the opportunity of sharing uh, information with, uh, with you and your program. I even like that uh, aspect about reading. So uh, that's one of the really important things. And uh, you have to read uh, specific information, understanding that uh, part of reading is also part of propaganda. It depends on what you read and uh, the particular sources. Uh, uh, I address the uh, what I call the uh, the European American colonial hegemony. That particular posture, uh, uh, as you refer to it, as uh, racism and white supremacy. And uh, I uh, basically just sharing, you know, like. 86 years of uh, experience and operating up under that uh, particular uh, uh, system. And I always uh, acknowledge the fact that uh, I'm, I'm black in attitude. I'm uh, black in uh, behavior. I'm black in thought and belief. And I'm also African in spirit. Uh, so uh, I'm absolutely clear about that. And uh, I function what I consider uh, rather successfully understanding that. 
racism is harsh, uh, but I'm not a victim. And racism is powerful, but I'm not powerless. Racism is invalidating, but I'm not invalidated. And racism is dehumanizing, but I remain human. And that's the way that I basically conduct uh, my life and address. Uh, what is the call number to call in? My wife wants to get on the phone. Oh. And so is, my, so is my son. They both dialed the number, but they didn't know how to get the, the code. Oh, the, the code is 564-943-POUND. Nine, 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 four, three, pound. Yeah, they they struggling. My son is in Seattle. Oh, that's right. right I could, yep, you are. I could open up my window and just shout it down the road to him. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, no, he's on it. My wife is on it. But I wanted them to share this uh, this uh, situation, especially because uh, my son is blessed to the extent that uh, uh, he went to to Cuba uh, a week ago or uh, religious purposes. And he uh, was kind enough to uh, invite my wife and myself down with he and his wife. And we just got back from Cuba. And uh, my daughter in Michigan just called me and said, Daddy, tell me something about the experience. And I said, well, let me say this. I've been to all of the particular uh, countries in America, Panama, Santo Domingo, Puerto Rico, Jamaica. And by the way, they're all part of this continent, so they're all part of America. The United States of America is uh, specifically different. But out of all of the nations uh, that I've been to, Cuba, Cuba made me more aware of my African ancestry and heritage because it's all in their culture, folkways, and tradition. And I think that that's part of the issue, bringing power or forces to make them abandon that aspect of the spiritual connection to Africa and embrace uh, a European hegemony. I've never been around people that showed me so much love. And I like the expression of uh, just being part of that. And you get away what I found in Cuba. And I just shared this with my wife, uh, my daughter rather, my wife and I, and we were talking about it, is that the people, especially the people, have the imagination and ingenuity to live and function on an entirely different level of banding what I call material, spiritual materialism. They're more into the human aspect of how they respond to situations. So they have managed, I guess, for some 60 or 70 years with those automobiles. But the automobiles to me, an automobile to me, get you from point A to point B. Now, I can be a, a 1924 uh, Chevy, 
And I asked the driver, I said, man, what, is, what year is this? He said, 1954, clean, running, and that aspect of it, they've uh, managed to uh, acquire the necessary skills to deal with the technology to make that work. They do that. That's out of what I call imagination and ingenuity. They don't need a machine to correct how this automobile runs. But that's just my, you know, I'm just sharing my personal opinion. Love it. Learning to speak the language. My wife and I started last night and we sharing a, 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 an app. So I want to learn the language because I want to go down there, especially the people, beautiful people. Now, my understanding of uh, what is going on with the present situation is that I believe, I believe the most detrimental thing that could happen to Western thought and belief in this hemisphere is for people to see how Cuba or the Cuban people respond to the forces that's being placed on them in embargo, having broken their spirit and has developed, like I said, a level of, of ingenuity and survival that doesn't exist. My son said something uh, and my uh, daughter-in-law and uh, my son said, man, he said, I don't believe that most or a large percentage of those who label as African-Americans, Negro, colored, or whatever that label is, could survive in an environment where you have to be responsible for yourself. You have to be responsible how you manage your resources. And uh, in a few moments, we couldn't use the telephone. I said, man, I didn't think I could live without this phone. I think I could go. My wife and uh, uh, and my daughter-in-law went to uh, to do some dancing salsa, and I was wondering. I said, well, "What time they gonna be coming home?" My son said, "Well, when they get home, they get home." I said, "But why don't they call?" Because I have been conditioned to respond to that level of technology, which is absurd if you're just talking about being a human being and enjoying life on this planet. So for those who have not had the opportunity to see how other human beings prosper in a nation that does not have the technology that we find in, uh, in the United States, it's done. It's done. Hmm. If I could ask really quick, and I, I think that's such a, significant point that you made about the resourcefulness and having cars, not having a brand new, you know, vehicle, having a vehicle and having to be resourceful about the repairs and taking care of it uh, to be able to get to point A to, B, to point B and even rethinking, you know, what is the, the point of this vehicle uh, in terms of how we've been conditioned in this part of the world and around the world to think about a vehicle. Uh, but you said that you were received with uh, so much love uh, and just treated so well, you and your family while you were there. Um, how many individuals did you come in contact with who would be classified as white? Well, let, let, oh, wow, that's powerful. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's powerful. I just told you we're on the street 
trying to catch taxis and taxis, you know, pass and what happened when they pass, they, uh, you negotiate for fare for prices and things like that. And uh, while we were standing there, a woman come up, greeted my son, shook her hand, shook his hand and hugged him, did the same to his wife, shook her hand and hugged her, shook my wife's hand and hugged her, shook my hand and then took her hands and put it around my face and embraced my face and kissed me and said, Papa. And I said, wow. Wow. She was a Caucasian or Blanco or white in skin texture. But she said, look just like my daddy. I'm a black man. So apparently her daddy was a black man. And when we went to uh, the Church of Lazarus, we saw all colors of people, families coming out. And when the family come out, if there were four people, there are four different complexions. So race has a whole different theme in Cuba. All over the planet, and especially in America, race has a specific definition. White has a specific definition. Like I said, I've been all over the world in parts of China. You don't call nobody white in Germany. What do they refer to each other as Germans? And if you're from France and you are, quote, so-called white, you refer to yourself as French. And if you're from Copenhagen or if you're from Amsterdam, or Sweden, it's about nationality. So white has only real significance in countries like the United States where racism is pervasive. You don't hear no white man in Germany who speak German come talking about he's white, he tell you he's German. The Frenchman speaks French, he say he's French. So we've gotten off of our particular uh, message as uh, what I consider African black people because we refer to ourselves in a number of different uh, labels and we have no particular identity. Identity is based on land, language, culture, tradition, concept. So if I tell you I'm African American, I'm not telling you anything. I don't have no country. I don't have no land. And my language is English. And I'm not English. So identity is important. How do you identify yourself as a human being? Where do you get your dignity and worth as a human being? So I do not refer to myself as a person of color. I do not refer to myself as an African-American. I refer, refer to myself, like I said earlier, I'm a black man. And all those other labels, I reject. That's just me personally. 
I'm not trying to, but what I'm talking about in terms of the European American colonial hegemony in this country, they refer to themselves as white people. And by referring to themselves as white people, that put them in a particular status. And that particular status is that of privilege. So what I must do, I must be responsible and read and learn and require the necessary skills to move forward in a society that has already decided that for me to read, move forward, I must take a back position. I can fail white individuals or what I would say white boys fail, they fail forward. If they fail the test, they still might pass and get to a position. And I think it was, if there's anyone that made that kind of clear, and I think it was one of the comedians uh, uh, who said, man, I live in a very wealthy community where uh, 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 there are four or five wealthy black people who live uh, in this uh, community. He said, but my next door neighbor is a dentist. <laughs> he's a dentist. And that point he's making is that uh, I have to make millions of dollars to live here, but we can, they can become a dentist and live next door to me. But I, that, you, know, that, you know, I could go off on all of this stuff, but you called me to ask me what my opinions and my belief is about this particular uh, 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 experience where I have there are, there are young people who are bright and exception. There are old people who are bright and exceptions. But if I had my brothers in my journey, I would follow those who have had experiences and wisdom in terms of what's going on in this country. As a young man, I always sat around my father and his friends. But I had young guys I hung out with, but I knew they knew as much about life as I did, which was nothing. So I always looked at the guys with the gray hair and asked them, well, how did you do this? How did you get through this? So those are the answers or, or the directions that I, that, I, that, that I definitely seek. And I hope that some of our young people begin to look and say, man, if you got through this, I can get through it. But those who uh, adjust to the, uh, to the madness, and there are those, many of us, who are, are fascinated, even intoxicated, about the European-American occupational hegemony, the colonial hegemony. And when you hear people call, when you're talking about, I think it's very interesting about what I've thought in Cuba, or Cuba, they said uh, uh, North Americano. And most people miss that. They said North Americano. That means the Americans in the North. But when you talk in this nation and you start talking about America, we kind of collectively use the category America just thinking that you're just talking about the United States. But America is this continent, not the United States alone, it's the continent. So there are other people and other forces and natures on this 
continent. So I was just impressed, North Americano. So what he was saying, you coming from the North in America, but I'm American too. <laughs> is, that, is that what that means? The Cubans said, I'm American too. I'm just not North Americano. So uh, trying to cover a lot of ground and, and answer some of your questions and give you some insight. And you mentioned Muhammad Ali and uh, uh, I had a, uh, a, a, a relationship with, uh, with the champ and uh, I was fortunate enough to be in his presence and his company. And uh, you mentioned something that uh, I said that he told me, but the one thing that he said that was, the, was the, the, gave me the most understanding of a lot of things was uh, the champ said to uh, Elijah Muhammad when he was boxing and the mafia and the gangsters wanted Muhammad Ali to throw a fight. So they sent a message to Muhammad Ali and said, uh, 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 you know, we want you to throw the fight. If not, we're going to shoot your knees off. And the honorable Elijah Muhammad said, what did they say? So uh, Muhammad Ali said, they said they would shoot my knees off. And the honorable Elijah Muhammad's response was, they got knees too. They got knees too. So like Malcolm say, I can give you what you give me. So what you put on me, I can put on you. And kind of unfortunately, today, in the thoughts in most of our communities, we feel powerless or impotent to address power with power. And uh, like I said, uh, my days are probably short. I'm 86 years old, so uh, being a professional athlete, a cornerback, with the Cleveland Browns in this particular size, society and culture, I bump and run. I ask no quarters and I give no quarters. I'm not trying to expand, refine, or maintain the system of white supremacy. My efforts is to destroy it. But there are those in our community and in other communities want to expand that system, refine it, or maintain it. And if you're talking about the maintenance of it, you're talking about the same thing. Hopefully my son in Seattle is listening to this. So I bring to him what my father brought to me. So if that is the reality, then you know those European Americans Children are bringing the same thing. And you've heard it. The fruit don't fall far from the trees. So why are we so concerned and upset with Mr. Trump? Mr. Trump is just a manifestation of what America is. They play all those games and tell you, well, it's only, only 40-something percent, but then that means you don't understand arithmetic. <laughs> if it's only 40-something percent, 40 from, well, the, 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 uh, 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 the majority vote uh, the other individual got. doesn't matter if you get into that kind of uh, 
rationalization. The fact is, he's the president. The fact is, today, they've addressed what truth and reality is. The fact is, they say that uh, he's not above the law. Then how come he ain't in jail? How come, he, how come he's, he's not above the law? Then what is the law? They're not talking about laws. They're talking about rules, regulation, codes, and codifications, and statutes that they change at the whim as they desire. So my wife and I, who are totally different, uh, I'm apolitical, I don't vote. People die for voting. Well, I'm sorry about that. But anytime you're talking about participatory democracy, those who participate, participate the best would be the ones that run it. And it seems like today, those in participatory democracies were in those particular uh, cathedrals that they uh, represent do what they want to do. <laughs> do what they want to do. The cows, uh, this is our guest, Mr. Walter Beach III, his second time visiting with us. Uh, man, I know uh, some folks, they get a little rowdy about that uh, voting uh, thing, hearing that someone uh, does not vote. I wanted to ask you uh, specifically, because you just shared that you have been alive, still here, 86 years. Uh, we definitely try to emphasize, along with the significance, importance of reading, uh, being mindful about what we put in our mouth, what is on our fork every day, that that is a big part of countering racism, white supremacy. If I may ask, mm -hmm. uh, since you're 86 and still here, what have you eaten today? Uh, I got a... I'm sorry, I had to take some water. I got up early and uh, and uh, ate some cereal and some fruit. Uh, my wife's, uh, uh, what is that? Not vegetarian, one of those. Vegan? Yeah, my wife's a vegan, my son's a vegan. And uh, I'm not any of those things. I eat. I watch what I eat and I watch my exercise and things of that nature. But uh, I'm not on a specific uh, uh, diet as a, a vegan or a vegetarian. On occasions, uh, my wife, I'll share a month or two with her on being a vegan and going somewhere out to eat. But if I see a, a piece of flesh and it has the right aroma and look to me, then I eat it. Uh, so I'm not uh, uh, specifically um, condition or program in terms of my diet. I don't have a special diet, uh, but I have special. Uh, I have a special energy in terms of. Uh, I'm also into uh, uh, the martial art, and uh, uh, most people call it uh, uh, Tai Chi or Kung Fu. But if they look on the temple walls in ancient Egypt, it's called Kupagani and Guma. So everything you see in Chinese in in China or Japan about martial arts come off of the temple walls in ancient Kemet. Kemet is what they call Egypt. Uh, uh, Egypt. It's written in stone. And you're talking about reading. Reading is good, but to think is better. 
So if you're reading something in a book, that's good. But you have to really understand who wrote the book and what's the mission of the message. So one of the messages that I follow is written on the temple walls in ancient Kemet in stone, not on paper or papyrus, in stone in the pyramids, written in stone. So those are some of the messages that I, that, uh, that I follow. Wow, spectacular. Your uh, wife and son, I am with them, plant-based diet. Did you, uh, did you travel uh, to Kemet to, to study? No, no, I didn't, uh, no, I did not in terms of, uh, I, uh, I studied under uh, 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 one of the teachers who married me and my wife, wow. uh, uh, and he, he's in uh, New York, uh, Baba Samaj, uh, very knowledgeable human being and a very spiritual human being. So anyone that's been to New York and gotten involved in the Kemetic philosophy uh, probably know a great deal about Sonor Samaj. Okay. My son studied under my son studied under him also. So uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I probably stepped on some toes when, like you said, and I talked about uh, about voting, uh, and that's why I stay away from. Uh, um, uh, the topic of uh, of religion, so I I have a different philosophical. My daily life is my religion. Hmm. So uh, I, uh, I I I I don't follow, especially any the um, what I call the imperial religions, because dogma and creed are all the same. It's just uh, 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 some specific references to uh, uh, certain, you know, certain individuals, but uh, I do not believe or accept the personification of God. So uh, spiritual, uh, the the ultimate or the divine, I, I don't believe can be grasped by uh, uh, the human mind. So uh, that's you know it's this you know d- d- just on my own my 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 daughter and I was talking today when when she uh, she took me to uh, she took me to the bank we went to take care of some business and I had my eyes uh, examined I had a cataract removed about six months ago so I went in for a cat we went for a, cat, uh, uh, a checkup and one of the things that we were talking about on the way there you know that we were talking about we say I said Jose Feliciano's got a song. Different people do different things differently. And uh, so uh, I accept individuals in terms of uh, their humanity and how they uh, uh, deal with their life. So uh, it doesn't matter to me uh, uh, what religion they are. I, you know, I, uh, I treat all human beings predicated upon uh, my understanding of uh, how they treat and address me. So uh, I'm kind of satisfied with that aspect of my development. And uh, I, I do not get, you know, and that was what my daughter said. Well, Daddy, you ain't never told me how to 
for church to go to what to believe. I say no, because uh, I'd be violating your the level of uh, your intelligence. You know, you you got a mind, you can think, and if you think that that's the way you want to pursue it, uh, then pursue it that way. I'm not. Uh, I, be, I believe that uh, my spiritual journey is for me, and I'll, I'll I'll move. But I'm always trying to move upward because I do understand once you come from from spirit into uh, the material realm, you have fallen. So my mission is to get back to a higher level of consciousness, to the spirit. So uh, my journey may take me in a different way than other people's journey take them. Context of white supremacy. Uh, you are a native of Michigan, Pontiac, Michigan uh, specifically. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct, Pontiac, Michigan. Okay, and that's that's, that's where I'm from. You know. You've been 86 years old. As I told folks at the beginning of the broadcast, we are currently reading James Lowen's Sundown Towns. He prominently mentions Michigan and states in the North in mm -hmm. general. That's a big point of the book that when people think about areas where black people were forbidden to live, uh, they think about the South. And he says that, you know, you have some of these in the South, but this was like a Northern Western thing. He has California mentioned a lot. Washington state where I am mentioned a lot, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, I mean the whole gamut, but Michigan is prominently featured and talking about having lots of areas and even talking about how black people got piled up in specific areas. Like they're not evenly dispersed, even in Michigan, they're in specific places, Detroit or Pontiac. They are not <laughs> In other places like Dearborn, uh, there are no black people, no, and, and that is not happenstance. Go, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they are, yeah, they are in Dearborn now, but when I was growing up, Dearborn was one of those uh, spots where you couldn't stop. I went to college at Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and right down the road there was a, a town called Owasso, and it was one of them sundown towns. You know, niggas be out of, be out of town at sundown. I remember my first experience at college. I was one of the I was one of the first uh, uh, individuals who were black to go to to the university. And when I went to the university, me and my uh, another roommate from Pontiac, Michigan, of mine, and a uh, another uh, 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 brother, black man from uh, Detroit, Tommy Dukes, and Phil Officer, and we went into the dormitories and we got into the dormitories. And it was very interesting because the house mother had three. If you look at a dormitory, you know there's only room for two beds. <laughs> so when we went into the dormitory, there were three beds in a room where there should only be two beds. So uh, I made a, a, an observation and complained and said, well, look, there only be two people in here. And she told me, she said, well, Mr. Beach, she, he said, he, she said, I'm going to put all colored people together <laughs> in, in this one room. So, of course, I had to. Uh, I had to uh, 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 project, man. I mean, you know, it, it's some of the, some of the experiences. Now, let me tell you, let me share the experience with you. Uh, especially if we're talking about sports, and I have an I had an have an experience with sports. You know, like I said, the guy told me, uh, owner of the, of the Cleveland Browns told me not to read the book Message to the Black Man. And I told him he could tell me, he could tell me he was my boss, and I said he could fire me and send me home. I said, but he couldn't tell me what to read. He said, a man can't tell another man what to read. Now, if you don't want me to play football, send me home. 
but don't ever think you're going to tell me what to read. And uh, we were on an airplane going to uh, uh, Los Angeles to play the, the Los Angeles Rams. And on the plane, it got real quiet. So when we got to Los Angeles, I was expecting, I said, well, you know, you're going to send me home. Send me home because I'm prepared to be home. Uh, I'm prepared to be a man. And uh, in that aspect of it, uh, uh, that, 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 was, that, that was my preparation. And my, uh, uh, you know, my, my dad uh, uh, pre- prepared me to accept the consequences of my behavior. So, like I said, if I go rob a bank or steal something, and that's a, cr- that's a criminal behavior and a criminal act, I expect you to put me in jail if you catch me. But uh, I'm not going to be upset or, or, or about that. But if you violate the aspect of the essence of what my identity is to me, then I must, uh, like I said, push back. I don't ask no quarters and I don't give any quarters. So uh, I don't mind not being an athlete. People ask me, I had a friend named uh, Eugene Campbell. Gene said, man, I've been knowing you for seven years. I said, yeah, Gene, we real tight. He said, but I never knew you played professional football. I said, Gene, that's what I did. That ain't who I am. That's what I did. That ain't who I am. I don't define myself in terms like that. If I do that, then how am I going to have a, a, a address a situation with my children, my son? I want my son to be a man. I don't want him to be, and he's a very bright and intelligent man in and, and technology, and he went to Tuskegee, and he got a job. I think his first job was at Microsoft making $200,000, and I ain't seen $200,000 in my 80 years. But he was a man. He's a black man, and that's what he stands for. Paul Robeson, I'm looking at my books now. Paul Robeson got a, a book that the people need to read. You're talking about, let them read Paul Robeson's book, Here I Stand. That's what Paul Robeson said. He says, here I stand. And that's what, and that's what we want our, our, our young people to understand. You know, uh, uh, I think it's William Blake who wrote a poem saying, when the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God, who can stand? Who can stand? Metaphorically, what is the God in this nation? White man. So when his fury comes, can you stand? Yeah, I can stand. And that's what, that's, that's, that, so, so, so that, that's the journey. Uh, the book that you're talking about that I got, uh, uh, which is, um, Consider this, I'm just completing a book and my wife is a little upset and concerned because I made some corrections. And, she, and when I make corrections, she has to read the whole thing again because when it comes to uh, um, the right uh, grammar and the pro- pro- proper tense and all that, she's, uh, uh, she's blessed to uh, uh, have mastered that. But the book that I'm writing uh, just finished is called The Sting of the Whip. The sting of the whip is basically that's what the sting of the whip is. This whip is talking about how people have abused and violated uh, our people in our communities. And uh, uh, I'm not going to be shy and whisper about that. We know what is going on. Everybody knows the game. Everybody knows the dice is loaded. Everybody knows the game is fixed. So how do you make the adjustments to deal with that? 
See, that's the masquerade that's going on in this country. Act like, like I said earlier, they act like Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump is the clear symbolic uh, representation of what America is. Clear representation of it. If it were not true, then someone would have changed it. If you violated the law, you can be arrested. Now, the, the things that's going on in this nation, all the all of the different rationalization and uh, 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 interpretations. I spent time in the seminary. While in the seminary, they had a term that I thought was very interesting. They call it hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Those who've been in the seminary understand what that word means. I was in law school at Yale. They got a similar term that they call obitadictum. Obitadictum. And when I shared this with my father, he said, well, what is obitadictum? I said, well, that's just how you interpret uh, 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 the law and come out. You know, you can argue both sides of the law and you got an interpretation. And he said, well, what is hermeneutics? I said, it's the same thing. Now, I don't know. I'm on your program. Hermeneutics, a bit of dictum. And my dad heard that. And I said, it's just a form of uh, rationalization. And he told me, he called me June. He said, June, he said, you know, we call that on the corner. I said, no. He said, bullshit. <laughs> he said, that's what, that's what we call it. They can call it hermeneutics. They can call it a bit of dictum. But it's just somebody making an opinion. And when I was in school, I asked a question one time, and I just said uh, 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 the question in the query was, and the professor answered the question and said, well, Mr. Beach, uh, uh, that was the opinion of the five people on the court. And I said, Professor Moore, I got an opinion. And he said, you're absolutely correct. He said, we do not abridge speech. I said, but you say that uh, there's a situation of uh, slander. If you tell me I got the right to speak, then when I speak, you say, I've slandered you. I said, I don't understand that. I said, I appreciate if you squared that with me, if I got a right to speak. He said, well, you can't say fire in a, in a burning building. I said, well, you may not want me to say fire in a burning building. I said, but I could say it. Well, he said, you have to understand this, young man. It's very pejorative. You have to understand this, young man. We do not abridge speech. We regulate it. <laughs> That's why I say the read is good, man, but to think is better. <laughs> Think thinking is important. Context of white supremacy. Uh, let me give out the number. Let me give yeah. out the number in case folks uh, would like to get yeah. a question in for Mr. Beach, Walter Beach the Third. Uh, the number six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you have a question. Uh, before I nab some of the folks that are. On the line, uh, I was reading your bio, and I it, hope my hope my son calls in. He's on. I will 
go through our switchboard. I was going to get in one question uh, before I get to the. Oh no! Go ahead. Go ahead. Before I no, get to. No, that's all right. I didn't. I didn't want to understand. You know. Okay. Uh, I am a certified yoga instructor, general and prenatal. And I was reading your bio. It said that you went to India to study yoga. That is that correct? Yes, I studied the Sarat Shab Yoga under Kipal Singh when I was in India. Sarat Shab Yoga is a form where the Sikh, the Sikhs, Kipal Singh was a Sikh, and not only the English translation of Sarat Shab Yoga is the easy way. That's what that's the that's the way it translated. Yes, a friend of mine who is a who is uh, who's who's a who's a black uh, uh, monk in the, in Pennsylvania, Doctor Jules Harris. He and I went to India and we studied in the Kapal Singh in New Delhi. Uh, uh, but the form of yoga is more uh, uh, mental and spiritual than the particular physical forms or the f- physical postures, and that's one of the reasons they call it the uh, uh, the easy way. Wow. How do you still practice? Yes, yeah, I, 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 I practice I practice uh, uh, by uh, 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 you know the the, the, the the mental exercises and and the, and the breathing forms along with my uh, 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 Kupa Gandhi or uh, Tai Chi, my breathing and breath. Breathing talked a lot about those breathing exercises we do those uh in prenatal and regular uh classes right, as well right mm-hmm. very very important do those breathing exercises i will take a gander at the switchboard see if we have folks who have a question they would like to ask star six one uh if you have a question for mr walter beach the third star six one if you have a question for mr beach uh let's see the person Five one three eight last four. Oh, maybe perhaps this is your son. Let's see. Uh, is this Mr. Beach's offspring, his son? Not sure. Not sure. Line should be open. Not here. Okay. I can't hear. I thought the line was open, but I'm not hearing anything. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, the person, last four digits, 5136, not Mr. Beach's son. Did you have a question? Yes, guys, this is Big Victor. Oh, greetings. This, yes, sir, good to hear from you. Yes, Mr. Beach. Gus, did you uh, get the definition to racism? Not this time, because this is his second. Not this time because this is his second time on the program. We did it last time around, so if you want to offer it again, feel free. Oh, I can't decide off the top of my head, but I agree. I I, I accept your uh, definition. Uh, I I pretty much agree with pretty much what Mister um, Beach said, but uh, I consider myself a victim. I can say it's a, it's a global system. Um, make sure you speak up your uh, volume. Your volume is dropping a little bit. Just make sure you speak up or make sure you have your 
closer to the receiver, maybe. Okay. Can you hear me? Much better. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you much better. Um, yes, sir. Um, it, um, are you from Mr. Beach? Are you familiar with Mr. Neely Fuller? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, that was he's one of my uh, favorite quotes. If you do not understand white supremacy and racism and how it works, everything else you understand will only confuse you. That's my favorite saying oh. from uh, Neely Fuller. Uh, uh, and, of course, it, that, that comes out of his uh, compendulum. Uh, uh, did you, um, you stated that you, you, you don't consider yourself a victim. No, 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 no. I, no, I don't consider myself a victim. But that don't mean I haven't been victimized. So that's a different aspect of it. Yeah, so I mean, uh, 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 see, the, the, a victim, in, in my opinion, uh, once they've been uh, victimized, embraces the victimization of what happened. So you can, you can uh, uh, come at me uh, with a weapon and ambush me and, and, and do whatever you want to do and shoot me. But uh, if you're looking at it in the uh, 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 what I call uh, uh, connotative and denotative aspects of the language, means that uh, you victimize me, but I don't accept that victimization as making me a victim because I'm going to respond to you out of the force and energy that I have. A victim is one who surrenders to that. And I don't think that that's uh, in conflict to what uh, what Feely's saying in his in, in his book, uh, uh, Neely Fuller is saying. He uses the term uh, the victimization, is uh, 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 you know, in, in the matter that I just explained. Someone can, like I said, ambush you and shoot you and and deal with you as a victim, and they view you as a victim. But that victimization is not what you internalize as the result of your aspect of it because you have free will and power to override or overcome that. And that's basically, in my opinion, what struggle's all about. There are those, and I, and, and I think that was a classic aspect of one of the things that I was saying in, uh, 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 while I was in Cuba. See, the embargo represented the victimization of Cuban people, withdrawing all of the resources, the technology, the equipment that you need to make uh, uh, to run cars and automobiles and, 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 and do all the mechanical things. So that was an embargo. So they victimized uh, the Cuban people or in Cuba. But the imagination and ingenuity means that, and if you go to, if you go to I'm going to say Cuba, because that's the way they pronounce it. If you're in Cuba, all you have to do is drive down the street, and they got little, uh, little yards where they building motors to run their cars. So they're not victims at all. They have, they have taken that aspect of their energy, that, of the victimization, and turned it around. So they survive. Their cars run just like my car here in, uh, in Pennsylvania runs. Just like my car runs. It runs equally, equally well. But I don't take, he does, 
I take my car because it's a Cadillac and I take it to a Cadillac dealer and they make it run. Well, these guys in, in Cuba, they take their cars, the Fords and the Chevrolets and all of those and make them run just like, so all it is and the point that I'm trying to make, all you have to do is do and produce what it's supposed to do. An automobile is supposed to run, get you from point A to point B. Now you may want to get from point A to point B in a Mercedes or in a, 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 a Rolls Royce, but guess what? You can get from point A to point B in a 1952 Chevy. And that's what we did when we were in, in Cuba. So the victimization is predicated upon and what I was trying to say to you. Uh, I don't consider myself a victim. I consider myself a free and sovereign human being who responds to all aspects of the forces that come against me. Sometimes the forces that come against me may be men, but sometimes the forces that come against me is nature. So when it gets cold out, I don't become a victim. I put on some clothes and get warm. When it's hot out, I'm not a victim. I take the clothes off and cool off. So that's why I wanted to be clear, uh, sir, that, 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 that we, we're, we're certain about what that definition is. Now, psychologically and emotionally, if I think I'm a victim, then that takes the essence of my ability to respond, and then I become a slave, not being responsible to take care of myself. And that's why my son and I and my wife, when we're there, we say there are so many people in our community that wouldn't be able to exist in Cuba because you'd have to learn how to do something. You couldn't go do something and ask somebody to, to, to take care of you. There's only two positions on the planet, and I think that you understand that. One is that you're a free and sovereign human being or you're a slave. So we're not slaves. I'm not a slave because someone had previously enslaved my, my ancestors and all of the ancestors enslaved. All slaves, even in this country, in chattel slavery, they didn't accept their position as slaves. They fought, they resisted, some died. So I, I, don't, know, I'm, I don't know if I've answered your question. Yes, sir, I understand that, but don't, um, that what you just said is how racism thrives. Now, if I'm, cor if, if I'm correct, Cuba is a closed society, and that's to be driving around in 1952 cars, that means it's so, it might be a beautiful society over there, but racism they had to go to the extremes where they can't even move forward they can't even all those people that had all, all the ideas over there that improved their lifestyle that's extreme people are riding around i, I think we'll be flying um did you have a, a question little, sir uh, in, um yes I, do you feel do you feel like that's uh, that they are limiting their um, 
over there in Cuba to be driving around in 1952 cars, sir? Do I feel what? Would you repeat that? Do you think that you know, they limit limiting their thinking? Um, their thinking? Their, and their growth driving around in 1952 cars and, <laughs> and not advancing forward? That, that's my question. Thank you for letting me share no, that. No, yeah, oh, sure, sure. All right. I'm, uh, no, no, no. I'm just saying what, what based on based on my values and based on my on, on, on my understanding, there is no, I make no distinctions in terms of the value of, of, of automobiles as to the value of worth of human beings. So if a human being can drive around in a 1952 uh, 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 Chevy and the other human being can drive around in a 2020 Mercedes, where is the value, what do you value, the car or the human being? Are they not both human beings? But if you put more value on, and that was one of the other things I said earlier, and I don't know if you missed it or not, but I talked about spiritual materialism. If you're going to put, if you're going to put value on material things, on material things, like they do in the West and through the European hegemony, then of course you value the Mercedes more than you value the the uh, 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 52 Chevy. But if you're going to put value on humanity or on human beings, which happens, now you've just said that the human being who has the Mercedes has a greater value than the human being who has the, the 64 Chevy, 62 Chevy. So it depends on whether what you, where you, where you pay, place in your focus. The, the point I was making, and I hope that I can... Uh, or share this with you and you understand it, is that uh, uh, all we have to do is think. And if we're going to put more value or more worth on material goods, then that is the essence of what capitalism, colonialism, and imperialism, and fascism is all about. The exploitation of people through systems. And through those systems, those systems make other human beings better or more valuable than those human beings who have less material things. And that's the essence of basically the definition of racism. You've just established the model for racism. So racism is the color of one's skin can make one better than someone else just based on the color of their skin. Or as you were saying, or the point you're making based on the fact that you got a model, a different model and more unique car. And if that's the way you want to live your life and that's what you believe, I'm saying, uh, 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 uh go with it. I said, I'm just rejecting that. That's all I'm saying. So, I mean, if I'm going to look at someone and say, man, you got an old car and therefore you stuck in history. No, you're not stuck. You just, you may not want a car. Like I said, all I need a car for is to get me from point A to point B. And if it's a Chevy 52 or Mercedes 2020, the end result is it got me from point A to B. So establishing the value on those kind of things to me is just something, like I said, uh, uh, it's in conflict with my values and beliefs. But I'm not saying that you or other people shouldn't believe that. And if you think that... Uh, 
because technology uh, uh, is less in Cuba, that they're less human beings or that they're stuck in time or that they don't, uh, uh, they don't lost, uh, uh, that's the point, the character of the people. You see the character of those people there. They, don't, they ain't walking down like they're victims with their heads down. Walter Beast III, context of white supremacy. Uh, before I get our next caller, uh, I am uh, reminded that uh, the first female ever on the FBI's terrorist most wanted list, Asada Shakur, former member of the Black Shakur, Panther right. Party, is uh, known to be in Cuba. That is, you know, yeah. something. I did also want to state uh, there does seem to be quite a bit of evidence, at least to me, I could be misinformed, uh, that the area of the world known as Cuba is responding to, subject to the system of white supremacy. And I'd say there's lots of evidence that would suggest that that's true. Uh, I guess one random tidbit that I would select, uh, Guantanamo Bay. Uh, it seems to me mm -hmm. that that area of the world is used uh, by whites that I suspect are racist white supremacists for military purposes. And it seems that I've heard quite a few people in the area of the world known as Cuba say that they don't like this and would prefer that they not be there. And the response seems to be that the white people have more power, enough power to say, we know that you don't like this, duly noted, and we're going to do it anyway. And it's just been there for years and looks like it's going to be there until the white people decide that they don't want to be there anymore. That, to me, is why this here program is titled Context of White Supremacy. That's the same power dynamic worldwide where we can do what we want and everybody that is not white, you can respond how you like. Sometimes the responses are great. And again, Asada Shakur is there, another victim of white supremacy who was fighting racism, white supremacy. But there does seem to be a tremendous power imbalance. As I said, the evidence would suggest Cuba is subject to responding to the system of white supremacy. I could be in error. All aspects, yeah. No, you're not in error. All aspects on the planet. The planet. The planet. It's planet Earth. If you look at from the beginning of time in history, where have individuals gone and confiscated land, culture, folkways, language, and resources. That is basically the underlying premise of white supremacy. It has nothing to do with color or race. It has something to do with the aspect of the color of what that power dynamic is. And the power dynamic has not no nation is immune to it. And if there's somewhere the who are, and, and my wife and I, we've been, like I said, we've been to all of the, the nations down there. And in every country that I've been to, Santa Domingo, Panama, Jamaica, Cuba, Dominican Republic, if you look at the lower levels of human expressions in terms of labor and resources, it's always predicated on color. You're not going to go into any of them nations where you see white in terms of complexion and color doing the dirty jobs that you see the darker people doing. That's a reality. Now, it may be painful to accept and painful to acknowledge because if, it, if you feel violated by it, then you mean you have to do something. So that's the same thing in this country. 
There are people who don't think that racism exists in this country. Absolutely. Let's see if one of them is our next caller, uh, the person at 9029-9029. Uh, did you have a question for Mr. Walter Beach the Third? Uh, yes. Greetings, Gus. Uh, greetings, callers and listeners. And greetings, Mr. Walter Beach the Third. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I, one of the things was uh, I've, I've actually been to Cuba myself. And um, one of the things that affected me greatly, I wanted to know if it was the same for you, was the food. When I ate food down there compared to here in the, the state, it, it was completely different. And not only did I lose weight while I was down there, but I actually felt healthier and better. And I'm, and I'm sure maybe some of that has to do with the stressful environment of the state as well. But also, um, when I came back, I actually couldn't eat the food here for some time. My digestive system had, in literally four to five days, had some kind of change. And I wanted to know if that was the case for you. I don't know how to the difference with the food and the health. Okay. Well, I... I, uh, uh, my my I I know I shared earlier. My wife is uh is uh, uh a vegan and vegetarian, and so is my son, my daughter-in-law. Uh, and they felt that the food was enriched to the matter of uh, uh their digestion in terms of health. Uh, I the only only thing that I'm gonna comment on, and I hope you don't think it's just uh facetious and funny, uh, is the fact that uh, I've never had any uh, mango juice as sweet as the mango juice I had there. Uh, it, it, it was, I mean, it was, it was just refreshing. So, uh, you know, like I, like I said, I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a big eater and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't eat that much. Um, but I did. Okay. Uh, uh, my wife said that uh, I ordered some. Uh, was it what was it? Pork. I had a pork brisket, and uh, I told her. And I told the cook. I told the the, the maitre d' to tell the cook it's the best pork I pork brisket I ever eaten. So uh, that you know that's that situation. But but like I said, my diet. I, we we were just there five days, so I didn't have a chance to uh, look. And I know, uh, I, I know that those are, are, are issues or, or concerns, but uh, I was very pleased. I'd like to say one thing that I think my son is on the line. He's on the what? Three, I heard four, your eight, wife. One. I heard your, your wife. Yes. yes, sir. We will get him yeah. on the line. Yeah, so he, he, he wanted to say something. Like I told you when you asked me what I called, would I participate? I told you that I would participate, but I also told you that uh, he's more dynamic and powerful than I am. So I don't know what he's going to say. He'll probably say something. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. Three, four, Mr. Three, four, eight, one. Do we have Mr. Beach's son? Can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah, sir. That's him. Hello. Yes, sir. We can hear hey, you. Hey, how's it going? Hey, peace, Pop. If you could speak I'm up fine, a little bit, I that would be helpful. Sorry. 
Just if you could speak up a little bit, sir, that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, can you? Is that better? Yes, sir. All right, great. I'm gonna take it off the Bluetooth. Hopefully, this is better for you. Hello. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. No, no, nice, nice to be here. I, you know, there's a couple comments. Um, the, the brother who called in earlier, who said about um, the cars and, and the progression of the people and things being old. You know, the one thing that I would say is two days after Cuba, the, the Enlightenment thing is that's, that's the backwards thinking of Americans, right? So in America, we have the illusion of everything, but we actually don't have nothing. You got people driving around with brand new cars, but they ain't got shit else in their lives. And Cubans have the illusion of not having anything, but they have everything. And so our value system is turned upside down. We have intrinsic value. We place value on things that aren't valuable whatsoever. And when you get into an environment where people have been restricted, you actually see what value is, um, is, is, is the first part. And then the second part about the brother who just called in and asked about diet, you know, being a vegan, which I am, and I wasn't vegan by choice. I love my brisket like everybody else did about six months ago, but I've been fighting a cancer diagnosis, which forced me to go vegan. But one of the things that was, was noticeable is when I went shopping for my fresh produce, I told my wife, I said, wow, look at these onions. They're small but they're not small. They're the actual size they're supposed to be. They're not pumped up with toxins and pesticides and chemicals and things that make them bigger. You see the chickens running around and they're small. You don't think that's what a chicken is supposed to look like until you realize that's the actual size of a chicken. And so what you, what you deal with is a society that isn't trying to meet some kind of food quota, some kind of forced quota, and they're not pumping their food full of hormones and toxins and pesticides and things of that nature. So, it's a very enlightening place, but in order to be enlightening, you have to shift your brain from your current way of thinking and, and remove what you've been accustomed to. Did, uh, I hope we're not prying into your medical or anything, but you said that you were not vegan by choice, that uh, you changed your diet as a result of a cancer diagnosis, which uh, we definitely wish you uh, the best with that. But has the, has the change to a plant-based diet, has that been a, has a positive impact on your cancer? Oh, very, cancer? very much so. Very much so. I, you know, I, I was diagnosed a year ago mm. and went through um, six rounds of six rounds of chemo. Wow. And what I found interesting is while I was going through the chemo, doctors never addressed the cause of my disease. They never told me to stop eating anything. Uh, you know, when you go get your scans, they tell you, you know, the first thing that they have outside is a bowl of candy. And so when my cancer started to come back, the first thing I told my doctors is I can't deal with y'all because y'all not dealing with the cause. And I wrote a saying today is if how you living is causing you to die, then the first thing you need to change is how you living. And, and most Excellent. people don't deal on that, right? Because we deal in a society that makes money. Every chemotherapy is $50,000. Every shot I had to have after chemo was $7,000. So when people tell you, oh, man, I can't believe you vegan, that's expensive. It's like, dude, I, I, I know what expensive is. Me spending $150 on an organic produce a week is nothing compared to what I'm really going to be facing if I got to go get hooked up to these machines. So it's all about value, and it's all about removing yourself from a European way of thought and a European value system on what you should be doing. Love the produce in yeah. Seattle. They have a plethora of uh, 
ways to get organic produce here. Um, that is amazing. Uh, I wish that more people uh, could cho- voluntarily choose a vegan diet as opposed to because I hear so many people where it's your type of situation where they're in dire health straits or having serious health problems. And that forces a change. Uh, yep. I feel like things would be so much better if, if, hey, you come out of the womb that way. Like once the breastfeeding is over, right. whammo, fruits, vegetables, we're not eating Cheetos and all that nonsense to begin with. Establish those healthy eating organic produce from the beginning. And maybe we never have that cancer diagnosis. Maybe we can stay away from having yeah. to go to the physicians to begin with. Did you want to add something, Mr. Beach, about what your son said there? no. No, no. Only thing I want to want and wanted to accommodate. I want you and my son to hook up because I like both of your your, uh, uh, your your spirits and both of your intellectual analysis. And uh, I want him, and I try to keep him involved with individuals that uh, uh, that strengthens uh, uh, his understanding of life and what what, what our particular struggle is. And uh, uh, that's uh, you know that's 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 just. Uh, important and i like the fact that what he said if uh if your way of living is what's causing the disease then you've got to change your way of living and uh so no that, that i'm 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 in total agreement with him because we went down <clears throat> down there and that was the second uh, uh advantage for being down there and he was we were down there on some, on uh, uh uh the other aspect of uh of, of uh, that which let you into the country but uh we must understand that it's all a matter of, uh, of perception. What is intuitively obvious to some never reached the realm of possibilities for others. So it's predicated upon values. And like my son say, there are no intrinsic values. All values are assigned. And if you assign the fact that you like a new car as opposed to an old car, it's nothing wrong with wanting the new car or the old car. But when you start talking about dignity and worth as human beings, we cannot allow external, external uh, magical toys to define whether we have some level of intrinsic value. And that's basically uh, 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 how uh, uh, I'm trying to live my particular life. Context of white supremacy. Uh, are you Walter Beach the fourth or no? <laughs> no. One more time, sir. But I still fly a beach flag. A Reef but I still fly a beach flag. Okay. <laughs> Uh, say your uh, first name again one more time, sir. Arif. Arif. A-R-I-F. Last Arif. name is Gersel. G-U-R-S-E-L. Much obliged. Arif Gersel, Mr. Beach's son. Uh, we had right. another caller. I did, uh, if I can get in one more question, I guess, to your son really quick. I asked Mr. Beach, and I'll, I'll put my, my cards on the table as well. Let's see. What did I eat today? I had a half an organic grapefruit. I had two organic bananas. I had uh, organic uh, tortilla chips. I had mm, 
Oh, I had uh, one slice of organic cinnamon raisin bread with peanut butter. I think that might be it for the day. Uh, it's I'm on the West Coast, so it's not quite 6.30 yet. So I do plan to eat uh, dinner at some point today. So I will eat more. But that, I think, is the extent of what I've eaten today. I did do yoga in the middle of the day. So when I do yoga, I don't like to eat a, little, a whole lot. So that kind of threw my schedule off. So that's what I've eaten thus far today. Uh, Mr. Arif Gersell, uh, if you don't mind sharing, you are a plant-based eater. Uh, what have you eaten though, so far today? Uh, this morning for breakfast, I have started off my day, which I started my family off what I call the green goblin. So I do a fresh mix of organic different greens uh, mixed together as a juice um, that we squeeze out. So 60 to 70 percent of our diet is raw alkaline-based juicing. Um, so we started off with a green juice this morning, a carrot apple, as well as what I call a fake sorrel, which is mostly red grapes, ginger, a little plum, and beet, uh, about a half a gallon of water. Um, and then I had a cheat day today, so I had a Beyond Burger because I was craving something a little, a little hearty. Um, and that's what I, you know, I, I hate that because I consider most people say they're plant-based. That's just another word for a different kind of processed food. So I'm really trying to limit my intake of all the fake meats and the tofus. But sometimes as a new vegan, my body, my mind craves it. So I went into Whole Foods. I bought the burger for my mind and I bought some soup for my stomach and I ate the burger later. So that's kind of that's been my diet so far today. For the, my wife just asked me what's going to be dinner, and for me, it'll probably be the rest of the day will be water and juice. Love the juicing. I'm so envious. I have really fallen off with doing my morning uh, smoothies and getting all the carrots and fresh kale and all that in raw. Great way. I used, that's my after uh, yoga treat, and I've fallen off with that. So I had a traumatic experience with uh, taking yoga, but I've got to get back to my juicing. Very inspirational. That's what I've been trying to do, encouraging listeners to eat better. That's one way we can fight racism. Uh, of course. Well, I love it. I just uh, I just recently invested in a, a pure juicer, which comes out of Seattle, a company out of Seattle. It's a, roughly a $3,000 juicer. And my friend said, man, that's expensive. I said, no, cancer is expensive. Mm, um, and so once point. you buy a $3,000 machine and it's sitting up on your counter, you find a way to use it every day. <laughs> Indeed, indeed, indeed. That is so Seattle. That is so Seattle. I was just telling people, do you enjoy, I guess, let me get in one. Do you enjoy uh, living in Seattle? Like on a scale of, of one to 10, if one is, oh, I hate this place every day. I spend every free moment trying to find a place that we can get out of here. 10, best place ever. I'm never moving. Where are you on living in Seattle? Seattle is in America, and I feel about America everywhere I am in America. You know, uh, you know you've been talking to my pops about Cuba. I, as well, am studying my Spanish. I'm trying to be back there in the next month. As soon as I got back here, you know, the beautiful experience about 10 days in Cuba was the 10 days in Cuba, but also the beautiful experience was the 10th day when I returned to America and being reminded of what it's like to be black in America from everybody on the spectrum, Seattle, New York. I went to school in Tuskegee, Alabama. I spent eight years in Alabama and what people say the deep south. I don't know how you can move there. And I tell them Tuskegee, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama is exactly like Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington has refined racism. Um, they have perfected the system of racism in Seattle. And so if you are conscious and if you are aware, you can, fall, you can fall for the utopia that they try to sell for whiteness. But as a black man and American man, I ain't found no city that treats me any different. So it don't matter to me where I'm at. 
That is true, but they don't have organic produce and three thousand dollar juicers uh, everywhere. The <laughs> oh, they the do. They, they do. They have shipping, and they and they have what's called soil. You can grow your own produce, and you can ship your own produce to yourself. If there's a will, there's a way. You know. So that's, those are just excuses we make for ourselves to block. There's now there is a concept of food deserts, and those things really do exist. You know, my wife is from Jacksonville, Florida, and we go to Jacksonville, Florida. You can't find a grocery store. Right. But it doesn't mean if you were conscious about what you were trying to put in your body, you can't still make a will and a way to do it. My grandparents didn't have any money, man. But I remember going to my grandma's house in the summer and weeding and picking up collards and doing everything else because what they had was soil and land. So most of the people who still have soil and land could, could find a way. When you start dealing with places like Detroit, Chicago, New York, you know, these places where they create these food deserts, these, these grocery deserts, Chicago, where I'm born. You know, just go to the white people neighborhood and go shopping. These are these mysterious walls that they build that keeps you from going places. Right? My own nieces and nephews don't go to the north side of Chicago from the west side of Chicago. For some reason, they think they can't go. So we have to break ourselves out of those mentalities. Every day we put our hand to our mouth and we decide to put something in our mouth. And that choice is a choice we make. And we can, we can keep coming up with excuses for why we do it or we can just make changes. Oh, change is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to nab our next caller. I did just want to say I I do think it's substantial just because I did spend time in uh, the state of Virginia this year. Man, it is a substantial difference when it is a five minute walk to a grocery store to get organic Mm -hmm. produce and it is a 20 mile Mm -hmm. drive and or mailing to get produce that may or may not be organic, that is a gargantuan difference. That's one. Um, it is. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll save just be. Oh, going to the white areas to shop. I will just say that in the system of racism, white supremacy, white people are not always accommodating to black people, even at Whole Foods. Oh, uh, <laughs> you're right. But you know what? That ain't keeping most of these Negroes around here from without walking into the Gucci store or the Louis Vuitton store either. So they can go cross town to find that stuff. But <laughs> they ain't thinking about it, what they're putting in their body, but they think about it when they put it on their body. So, again, these are just the excuses we put for ourselves a lot. Because in them same food deserts, I see a lot of people with designer clothes and driving fancy cars. They had to go buy that somewhere. I don't know where the Gucci store is here. I know where the Whole Foods is. Not the Gucci store. I do uh, ask that we not name call on the program. That is one thing I try to be very uh, mindful about, uh, the way that people talk about black people. So I do not use Negroes or anything else uh, to talk about. We can be criticized without name calling. Uh, Caller in Nevada, who I think has talked about whites maybe not being so welcoming at Whole Foods. Sometimes they're not even welcoming at the Gucci store. <laughs> Red in Nevada, did you have a question for Mr. Walter Beach the third? Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. This is Red in Nevada. Um, definitely appreciate the commentary from both Mr. Beach and, um, I'm sorry, the other gentleman. Arif Garcelle? Uh Yeah. Aris Garcelle, thank you. Um, definitely, uh, I know I could say at least, like, I live in Las Vegas, and I know I have to go to, like, the the water areas to get food and even, you know, being harassed at the Whole Foods, which is something of, uh, you know, just something that Black people have to deal with. Um, I know I had mentioned, um, I guess I'll just get to my question, sorry. 
Um, so for Mr. Beach, I under um, I heard you use the term several times, um, hegemony. I just want to know what your definition of hegemony is, and if you also agree with the term uh, patriarchy. Um, that would be uh, my first question. <clears throat> yes, I, I, you know, uh, hegemony is influence. That that I think that's the the the, the more uh, viable aspect of it. So when I say the uh, uh, European American colonial hegemony, I'm saying it's that influence. So it's part of the milieu, and it's part of the the the, the, the ethos of a society. So the the uh, 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 what I was saying earlier in uh, Cuba, the hegemony is steeped more with African tradition, folkways, uh, and culture, more so than those, uh, uh, in my opinion, more so than Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Dominican Republic. And uh, so the hegemony, in, uh, uh, as, I, as I use it and, and as I understand it, and I think that uh, Mr. Johnson was saying this when he was talking about, so hegemony is the influence. Everybody thinks that the influence in the South, as it impacts negatively uh, on, on black people, is different than the hegemony or influence in Michigan or in Cleveland or in Ohio. It's the same, it's the same thing, and that, and that hegemony is the underlying aspect or the influences that I believe and I was saying in terms of why when I said why people get upset with Trump. But all Trump is doing is manifesting and sharing the influences of what white supremacy and racism is in this country. So uh, uh, and and it's uh, and and, and it, it's interesting. And I come out of a out of a out 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 of a out of, out of an experience in culture. I was a professional athlete. And I played professional football in Cleveland, Ohio. And it'd be 80,000 people in the stands in Cleveland, Ohio. And I'd come out and they'd want to autograph my jersey and write on my jersey or want my, uh, uh, my armbands. And when I come out and I stick my hand up, they take my armbands out. And afterward, they want me to autograph it. That was in Cleveland, Ohio. On the west side of Cleveland, black people couldn't go. The 80,000 white people in the stands and, and some, some black people. But after we played football, we couldn't go, we couldn't go on the west side of, 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 of Cleveland. Now, that wasn't Mississippi. And I think, I don't know if I shared this with you or not, Dr. Johnson, Gus. Uh, I come out of the stadium in Cleveland, Ohio. Just played a football game, sweating and everything. And uh, uh, the young man had his uh, his autograph book and a, and a and a marker. And his dad, he must have been about five years old. And his dad said, "Well, give that give that to uh, 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 Walter Beach." He said said and he said to his son, he said, "You know who this is?" And you know what his son say? "Yeah, a nigger." I signed the autograph and kept on stepping. 
So that's what hegemony is, the influence, the ethos, the milieu in which you function in. And if you function in it, you have to know what it is. All intelligent creatures understand their environment. All intelligent creatures understand their environment. The beaver comes up, he sticks his head out the water, and he sees a mountain lion. And he goes back down into his little plane because he knows the mountain lion are killing and eating. So the reality of it, we just can't abandon reality and act like and walk around as though we don't know uh, what's going on. That's intellectual infidelity. I don't know if that, that, that definition is, is, is sufficient or satisfy your understanding or not. Um, Was there another question? Yes, sir. Thank you. Just, mm -hmm. Yes, just the last question. Um, so would you basically say that um, how you're using hegemony is a synonym for racism, white supremacy? And I'll mute my line. Thank you. A, a synonym? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 a it's a hegemony. Let me say this: hegemony means influence. If I connect it, uh, and the pre, the the words that precedes it when I say European, American, colonial hegemony, then by connecting it it means white or white supremacy or racism. But if I use the word in isolation by itself, then it stands generically like, it, like uh, Mr. Webster would say in a dictionary, it just means influence. Yeah. And the other thing that you ask about, which is uh, uh, I think uh, very important, is that you asked about patriarchy. And all patriarchy is to me is male dominance. Uh, the patriarch society is a society where uh, we're back to uh, philosophy and values on uh, males being the dominant, the dominant concept, the dominant idea, and the dominant actor in a society. So male patriarchy is that which. Uh, 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 in my opinion, is part of the evil aspect of uh, of uh, man's inhumanity to man. Uh, I don't know, and I'm sharing this with you, uh, uh, any other way for man to enter this particular sphere or this planet other than through the fallopian tubes of a woman. So the woman to me is most sacred. So the woman to me is the father of humanity. So once you take that which is the most sacred and the mother of humanity and relegate it beneath males or men to dominate, that's one of the fundamental evils of this society. So I'm not one who support uh, 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 hegemony. I look, I'm sorry, not hegemony, but uh, uh, patriarchy. So I don't address patriarchy in a society. So with me and my particular wife, my family, and my children, male dominance does not have a role higher than female. So they're complementary. I don't ask my wife to do uh, 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 anything 
uh, that would require something that it would, uh, some aspect of what it would require a male to do and what it requires a female to do. The only reason that the towels in my bathroom that I deal with that's higher on the rack than my wife's towels is the fact that I'm taller than her. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a man and I should be on top or my towels should be on the top. It has something to do with the whole aspect of physical functioning. So, so, so uh, me and my wife are, are complimentary and we share. But if someone's breaking into my house, I don't ask my wife to share that aspect of it with me, with, with what that experience is because, because of the fact that through genetic inheritance at this particular aspect, I'd rather deal with the man coming in the house man to man other than saying to my wife, well, since we all equal and we share, you can deal with this too, or you, I expect you to deal with it. So that's the best that I can deal with that aspect of patriarchy. I reject it in the traditional philosophy or sense that just because one is male in physiology, he has a role that dominates that of a female. I hope that uh, gives you some clarity about how I understand that. Much obliged, uh, Red in Nevada. Uh, I guess she'll let us know if she had another question or if that did not answer her question. Um, <clears throat> the aspect about patriarchy that is so funny uh, that leads me, or it is could be a really nice segue uh, to, because I did say that I wanted to talk about the finals quickly. Uh, I will interject. I did have a pear today as well. I forgot. Lots of fruit. Uh, so the NBA finals, and I'm making this segue with patriarchy. I can get another book references. Book reference in reading is more important than watching television. Uh, he's been on the program, I don't know, a dozen times or more. Uh, Dr. Tommy J. Curry, uh, he's a professor down at the University of Texas A&M. Uh, his book, The Man Not, Race, Class, Genre, and the Dilemmas of Black Manhood. We read it in the book club. I narrated, uh, and he's been on the program repeatedly to talk about that text. It is in my top 10 all time. I think it has a lot of uh, accurate information, specifically talking about uh, patriarchy and black males and how black males are not allowed to be patriarchs in a system of racism, white supremacy. They don't have control and that they are subjected to unique forms of violence. And the NBA Finals, I think, has displayed that pretty sharply over the past two weeks uh, that the contest has been going on. I wanted to ask Mr. Beach just to get his thoughts. Uh, there are three specific incidents that I would point out that reinforce uh, some of the main themes from Dr. Curry's book, The Man Knot, specifically about violence against black males being something that's celebrated, enjoyed. Black males are a threat. Niggers, as the young child said to Mr. Beach, they're dangerous and we need to be prepared for force, even lethal force to put them down. Uh, the first incident uh, was Drake. This is a non-white entertainer. He does have a white parent. Uh, he is employed by the Toronto Raptors franchise as a brand ambassador to promote 
Raptors basketball and to cheer for the team and to get more people to become fans. That's his job. He has his, in fact, his name is on the Raptors practice facility or his brand. <clears throat> he was doing his job cheering on the sideline and there were individuals widely calling for violence against him. They should hit him with the ball. They should tackle him. They should jump over on the side. This was white people and non-white people saying this repeatedly, violence against this non-white individual. The next incident, about a week after this, Kyle Lowry, who also plays for the Raptors, uh, he went into the stands chasing a ball. The white co-owner of the Golden State Warriors, Mark Stevens, shoved Kyle Lowry for no reason. Uh, He didn't touch Mr. Stevens at all in this spectacle. Uh, He shoved him and then cursed him repeatedly. And this happened on the front row at the NBA Finals. Cameras from all over the world watching this. He was uh, Mr. Stevens was fined a half a million dollars and banned from NBA games for a year. Mr. Lowry thought he should have been banned for life. The third incident that I would include in this uh, and and even with Mr. Lowry after the shoving incident, there were people who came out and said, well, that Kyle Lowry is annoying. He kind of gets on your nerves. You want to smack him every now and then. The third incident, (laughs) Kevin Durant. Two-time Finals MVP. They wheel him out to play. He's been injured for a month, has not played in a month. They wheel him out to play this week, and he tears his Achilles. Might, you know, totally change his career for the worst. And they're, you know, who cleared him to play? You know, they said he was hurt. Did the doctors approve this? I mean, people thought this could happen. He goes down. The crowd cheers. The Toronto players have to shush them and get them to stop cheering because this black male got hurt. This didn't just happen in the arena. There were reports that other people were in sports bars in different locations that were rooting for the Raptors, and they did the same thing. They started cheering, mostly white people, unfortunately. Well, yeah, mostly white people cheering. Oh, yes, this black male has injured himself and might not be able to play basketball the same way again. We are thankful. Hopefully our team will win. All of these, in my view, are just different examples of how violence against black males celebrated on a really public stage at the NBA Finals sporting contest. I thought it would be interesting to ask Mr. Beach because you do have some experience with professional sports and facing racism as an athlete. What I just said, does that does that make sense? Or do you have thoughts on these events? Yeah, I have uh, have a particular uh, uh, position on both of the, uh, all, on all three of three aspects of it, um, and if I, if 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 I might, this is how I'd like to address it. You talked about Drake, and then you talked about uh, uh, Larry, and you talk about uh, uh, Kevin Durant. Let me start with Kevin Durant because. Uh, uh, I uh, I had an Achilles tendon when I played with the Browns, and uh, I was a starting cornerback, defensive back with the Browns. So uh, I wasn't no 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 star like 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 Kevin, but I on on the, on the roster I was I was a starting corner. So so of course they would want me to be out there other than the one who was my backup or, or they would consider less than me. Uh, so I had my Achilles tendon. And when I pulled Achilles tendon, uh, I was out for a couple of weeks. And I think it was the third week, uh, 
uh, the coach came to me and he said, uh, 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 Walt, you be ready to go this Sunday. So I said to him, uh, I said, uh, his name was Blanton Cardi. I said, Blanton, no. I said, I can't go. My, 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 my what you call is, uh, my kidneys is still, it hasn't mended, you know. This is a discussion. So he said, Walt, Dr. Eppolito said, you ready to go. And I said, Blanton, I said, my Achilles is still tender and I can't go up on my toes and it hurts. He said, Dr. Eppolito said, you will be ready to go Sunday. And my response to the coach was, Blanton, call you. I said, then you let Dr. Eppolito go out there because I'm not going. I got nothing. I've got nothing to prove. I'm not. I'm not going. So uh, after a month, I got back on the field and I continued to play, and that was a good season. And we won the uh, the championship. That's when we we won the championship, and I made a contribution to that. That's that's one aspect of it. So I wasn't going. Let me show you. Tell you why I wasn't going. When I was in high school, I was a high school all American sprinter. And uh, my sister and my aunt, my father's uh, sister, my aunt, came into the house with my grandmother, and we called her Granny. So Cleesey, my sister, Ramona Page, and my, sister, and, uh, my aunt and, and my sister Shirley told my grandmother, they said, Granny, uh, they called me June, said, June just broke the state record in the 100-yard dash and the 200-yard dash. And my mother, my grandmother looked and smiled and said, okay. And I don't know if you can appreciate this or not, uh, Mr. Johnson. Gus. My grandmother looked at me and she said, June. I said, yes. She said, go empty the slop jar. You know what the slop jar is? For those who don't know. In the, in the area that we lived in, in Pontiac, there was an outhouse. And the outhouse is where you went to the bathroom and did your number. Well, at night, you didn't go out to the outhouse. You did your number in the house on the slop jar. And the, the slop jar is when everybody defiscate and did all they, leave all their stuff in the slop jar. So the point I'm making, my grandmother was telling me, I don't care, boy, whether you broke 100 records, you still got to empty the slop jar. You got to do the dirty work. You got to do what you're responsible for. That's the message that she was sending. You always responsible for yourself. And you're not going to do anything out there that's going to be more important than the relationship that we have in here. In our house, you got responsibilities, and I love you. If you do something out there and they think it's great, that's not going to impact how we deal with each other here. That was the message that my grandmother gave me. So that's that, to me, that's that Kevin Durant. I ain't trying to impress nobody out there, in my opinion. And I said this. And I said it at the last time when Kevin went out the first day. I told my son, 
I have another son, not a reef, my other son, Darren, who's in the sports. I told him and I told my daughter. I said, Kevin just pulled a, 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 an Achilles tendon because I saw the way it went down. But they said it was a, 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 a calf muscle. Well, I don't want to get off in that. Now they said he wanted to play because he wanted to let everybody know that he was, uh, he was with them and he was, he was tough. And that might be the case. And all of this is tying into what man, what, what, what you're talking about in terms of black man. What you terms of the black man. If you're talking about any aspect of what has to happen, I'm going to say this again, and it might, might be offensive. And people may not want to understand. I'm a man. There is no another man or human being that creates fear in my life. There is no other man that I worship. I'm a man. I do what men do. And whatever other men do, I can do. And what I can do, they can do. So I'm never trying to improve, impress someone. Coming out of our culture, the best of my understanding, one of the most important things is to impress other men that you're not, that you're a man and that you're less than a man. And when you're in a situation, a racist situation, for you to believe or for you to feel that you're going to ever be elevated to a level higher than those who has demeaned you. Now, this, this discussion did get, and I, I shared that with, uh, with uh, 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 you about the little white boy calling me a nigger. Nigger is a term that was constructed by those who thought you were less than a human being. That's what that word means. It's not to celebrate you, it's to demean you. But once you have been demeaned and you feel less than a human being, you will embrace that term and try to sanitize it and start talking to yourself and other people in your race by calling them niggas. You cannot reconstruct something that you didn't construct. So the use of the word has already told you that in that you're less than a human being. And coming out of that psychologically, you use it to part of say, well, no, I'm better, than, I'm better than that. In fact, I use it myself. And if you read The Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, Franz Fanon wrote The Wretched of the Earth. The foreword to the book was written by Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre, my wife, who understands you can speak French, pronounce it better than me. But Jean-Paul Sartre says in his foreword, when you violate and oppress a people to such an extent and they have no force and no power to resist, they will create a situation where they will massacre themselves. When you take their power, their struggle to get power, 
will be misdirected and they will direct it upon themselves. Suicide for the faint at heart. That's the best that I can talk about when you're talking about what the impact of racism can be on black men and the impact that racism can be on black women and especially black women who love their black men are always struggling to keep their black men out of what they know is harm's way. So when the white man does something, the best thing you can do is make certain that you don't get hurt or they don't injure you or they don't lynch you. So they, I'm talking about the female, say, oh no, be cool. Don't, you know, don't, 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 don't say nothing. Don't do nothing. Why? Because they think if you say something, you get, uh, you get harmed or you'll get hurt. But the last thing I'm going to say on this is the last thing that the, what the last poet says. The last poet says, blessed are those who struggle. Oppression is worse than the grave. Better to deny, better to die for a noble cause than to live and die a slave. Better to die for a noble cause than to live and die a slave. That's what I think patriarchy and black male experience manifest. I'm not going to be treated as a slave. I prefer death. I know what slavery is. I don't know what death is. So you want to be a perfectly, I want to be, I want to reach for that which would make me a perfect, moral, fulfilled human being. And we get misdirected. Brothers always want to be better than they think they are taller than they think they are, better than they think they are. So what you want to do, you want to prove everybody in the world that you're better than LeBron James at what cost? That's my message on that, Mr. Johnson. With with the shoving, uh, before we move to a different topic, just uh, in your time playing, especially playing in the 1960s, um, did you ever have any incidents where a fan uh, assaulted you or something similar to the Lowry situation? Uh, no, I never had a fan uh, 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 come in. And, uh, of course, you know, football, they're not as close. The fans are not as close. Uh, come, come and uh, assault me. I had a player who played uh, with me uh, uh in, 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 in training camp, uh, we were in, in the training room and I was getting ready to sit down on a chair. Uh, and it was one of those big, uh, uh, big old linemen, uh, who, uh, had attitudes. We all had 
attitudes. I you know who the I knew who the white boys were, and they knew who we were. And uh, I was getting ready to sit in the chair, and as I got ready to sit down, he pulled the chair down and it pulled the chair out from under me and laughed. And um, I turned around and I took the chair, and there's a steel chair. I broke his nose and shattered his uh, his left cheek with the chair. Because after I got up off the floor, I took the chair. And I said to you earlier, as I told you earlier, I didn't ask no quarters, I didn't give no quarters. My actions were such that if they wanted to send me home, they could send me home. And that's what I'm saying. I understand what my, my actions and behavior is. But you're not going to injure me. So when it was after I hit him with the chair and they broke up the they broke up the fight uh, uh, again the owner came and asked me you know uh, that kind of behavior you got to be something mentally wrong with you something is mentally wrong with you if you don't embrace the behavior response that the European or white supremacy expect from you. Something is mentally wrong with you. Because I thought that you should think this was a big joke. And you should have got up laughing. When, when, you, you get up. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting you. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding this story correctly. When you say the owner said it must be something mentally wrong with you, do you mean the no, owner? No, of, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying he said that. Mm. I'm saying when he addressed my behavior, because mm. he said he was saying, well, you should have accepted that as a joke, just a crank. Was this Art Modell who said this? Well, I never called him Art. I always called him Mr. Modell. Oh, okay. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> okay. No, I always called him, always called him Mr. Modell. And the reason I called him Mr. Modell, I, I was always, was, you know, was always formal with me. Mr. Modell, Mr. Beach, Walter Beach, the Cleveland Browns, you played two years with the New England Patriots. That's me. And in the second year with the New England Patriots, they sent you home. The second year with the New, with the New England Patriots, this was before the, the merger of the American Football League, which uh, New England Patriots was in the American Football League, not the National Football League. Well, I was with the New England Patriots, and the New England Patriots were, to go, were, were supposed to go to New Orleans, this is before the, when the New Orleans Saints came in. This is before the merger now. We played professional football. And when, when I got back to the, when we got to the uh, 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 training, uh, training camp, there was a, a, an itinerary that said uh, that we were going to, the New Orleans, New England Saints were going to play the uh, New Orleans. And they had all of the black ball players staying in one hotel in a in a motel, and all of the white ball players staying in a hotel in New Orleans. And when I saw that on my bunk bed, I looked at it, 
And I said, man, they got all of us segregated. So I called the black ball players together. I said, man, we shouldn't go down here and, you know, be segregated. So we had a meeting and they told me, well, you be the voice of the black ball players and and then you talk to owners. So there was a team meeting and I did all of the talking for the black ball players. The next morning, they woke me up. They gave me a plane ticket and my per diem and sent me home. So I went back to Michigan. And when I went back to Michigan, I taught school for that year. I wrote a letter to the Cleveland Browns and sent them all my details and my statistics. And they invited me in and they sent me a check, not a check, a contract. So I went to the Browns and I tried out for the Browns and I made the Browns team. So in, uh, there was a, was a protest that, uh, that I participated in and some other black players participated in Mr. Brown and Mr. Mr. Modell said he didn't want us involved in political things. And then he made a specific comment to me and he said, well, Walter Beach, you know, uh, we took a chance with you when nobody else would touch you because you had a reputation in Boston as being a troublemaker. So I, you know, I didn't say nothing, but that was the nature of what, what happened, uh, uh, with the Browns. Mr. Modell said, we taking a chance with you and you're a troublemaker. And because I understood, and I got this from my father, you're not taking a chance with me. If you thought that I couldn't play football, I wouldn't be on the team. You're not doing me a favor. So I understand Neely Fuller. I understand what he's saying. If you don't understand white supremacy and racism and how it works, everything else you understand will only confuse you. That's how it works. We're going to tell you that we're taking a chance with you because you ain't got enough sense to know that you make this team and we ain't taking a chance because if we was taking a chance, we'd send you home. But if we can't put you on the team, that means you can do what we want you to do. And once you understand that, so I played with, well, I played with the Browns. But I mean, that's the nature of the relationship I had with Mr. Modell. Well, what I want you to let, we're taking a chance on you. And then in the other aspect of it, I've done more. This is the discussion. I've done more for black people than other people. I contribute to the NAACP and I do all that. I don't say nothing. I listen to that because my hypocrisy can only go so far. I can accept those kind of discussions. So my hypocrisy was based on the fact, well, I know you're a racist and I know you give me all this BS about you taking a chance, but I can deal with that. Then one day you tell me I can't read a book. And the book is message to the black man by the honorable Elijah Muhammad. I'm not going to take that man. I'd rather go home. And I just read that to you in the last poet. Blessed are those who struggle. Oppression is worse than the grave. Better to die for a noble cause than to live and be a slave. The last poet. So I'm saying it's better for me to go home than to play football when, when some cat tell me I can't read a book. I'll go home. Metaphorically, that means I'm dying. Better to die 
for a noble cause. Context of white supremacy. Uh, I see we had a caller uh, last four digits. Oh, this is Irie. Uh, Irie, did you have a question for Mr. Walter Beach? You should be with us. Uh, Irie, if you had a question. Yes, can you hear me? Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening, uh, Mr. Beach and Gus and the callers and listeners. Um, my question is this. Based on um, some of the things you discussed um, about your experiences playing professional football, the um, eyewitness report that um, Gus had about the um, terroristic behavior of the uh, that team owner in um, <laughs> you know during the finals, and also the um, the the fans of the I, I'm sorry I don't keep up with who's playing right now. Unfortunately, I don't keep up with sports, but um, based on that behavior. And I would say also some eyewitness behavior that um, um, I saw on YouTube where a woman um, who would be classified as white told LeBron James to his face that he was a punk AB. And I'm Mm -hmm. not sure the reason why. Um, Based on that, your injury and also a sundry of other things, do you think um, as of now it is still a, a good or proper constructive use of non-white people's time to continue to participate in, excuse me, professional um, sports. I apologize about the uh, tongue twist. Uh, I'm not certain I heard, I I, I understand. Do you think it's a good idea for white people no, non-white, non-white. Is it, is it, a, is it still a, it, would you say it's still or has been or will be, you know, a constructive or good use of our time um, playing professional sports? Um, also, with this caveat, um, based on the tacky, trashy, trashy um, terroristic um, behavior of so-called white people, but also um, because it has not done anything to bring about the end of racism, white supremacy, and replace it with justice. Is this still something we should pursue? Well, 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 you know, I'm, 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 I'm gonna give, I'm gonna say to you, Miss, um, the, the essence of the question is, uh, uh, if you live in a racist society, all aspects of your behavior are what, and why, why, why I pose that. Uh, 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 that 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 that, that uh, rhetorical question is, what is it? The what's it, what is the difference to be a lawyer, or a doctor, or a school teacher, or a bus driver in America? They're all they're, it's it's all the same. You you're functioning and operating in a racist society, predicated upon, like I said, uh, uh, those particular. Uh, 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 influence of the European American colonial hegemony. So the country's been colonized, and you live in a country that's colonized. You have to work and do something. The work as a professional football player is no work 
no different than to work as a lawyer, a lawyer, or a doctor. All of them are functioning in that same milieu. So you make the best out of the situation. I functioned in that environment as a professional football, but my struggle and efforts was for me to maintain my worth and my dignity and my humanity. And when I left that particular uh, uh, profession, I went to uh, City Hall with Carl B. Stokes, and I was his administrative assistant in Cleveland in a white racist society. And I left there and went to Yale Law School, left there and went to uh, New York and became a uh, 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 director of uh, parks and recreation. Left that particular job, went to uh, uh, the Department of Correction as the uh, training, the correction officers. So all, everything, every place that I'm sharing you with my personal experiences, I'm still dealing with racism. So playing football or professional sports is no less demeaning or being elevated in a racist society. You mentioned LeBron James, who people say is the best uh, basketball player on the planet. He come home in his house and they got nigger uh, uh, written on his house. What I'm saying, there are no sanctuaries and there is no escape other than that what you create for yourself. So I don't know what you do specifically in, in terms of your profession, but I would suggest that whatever it is, I bet you that does not make you immune from racism. There are no sanctuaries, in my opinion. And if some people know of them, I'd be more than willing to hear what and where they are. My son and I come back from uh, uh, Cuba. Uh, and uh, I, 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 like I said, I'm 86. I can walk and everything, but I always get a wheelchair. I get a wheelchair because of the fact that I get the wheelchair, I can get on the airplane first. <laughs> so so we'll, I always get somebody and they wheelchair me. So they wheelchair me into uh, into the uh, 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 place where everybody's sitting in the wheelchair, and I'm there, and I and there's a, one person in the wheelchair in front of me, and then after that, uh, uh, there are three other people come into the wheelchair. So uh, then they get this one person out, and uh, they wheel her out, and then uh, I'm just looking. I say, well, I guess I should get wheeled out next because I was the next one to come. Now, we're in, we're in Miami. We're not in Cuba now. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and um, the, guy, the guy says, tells the next wheelchair person that the, that the guy who came after me, they let him go first before me. So he said, he points to him and say, you first. And he points to me and say, you second. 
So I said, but wait a minute, man. Why am I second when I was here before him? And he comes up with some bogus story. Well, his flights got to, to leave before yours. Now, what that suggests to me, if four more people come up here and their flight has to leave before me, then there'll be four people in front of me. So I don't accept that rationale. So I said, man, well, you know, give me my paper, my, my, my uh, boarding pass. And I tell my wife, I leave the wheelchair and I walk on, I walk on through. I go, I said, let's go. I walk up. I'd rather die for a noble cause than be a slave. You're going to put nobody in front of me. And then you're going to tell me some bogus story. So what that story was, that if 20 people come here, man, I can put them before you. I know why he's put before me. I know why he's 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 play, why he's being put before me, because he every time they, somebody come up, they start whispering to him. But I said, look, man. I, so all I'm all I'm trying to point out to you, miss, and understand. If you know a place where you can escape white supremacy and racism on this planet, not in this country, on this planet, I'd be willing to know where it is. I had a friend. Lloyd, uh, uh, he was a friend of mine's real estate. He said he was in Alaska. He said, and the Eskimo called him a nigger. And I said, what did you say? He said, I just said the word gets around. <laughs> the word gets around. The ideas and the, and, the, and, the, and the thoughts and the influence gets around. So you know worse or better pursuing the essence of who you are, your humanity and your dignity by playing professional sports, you know less than someone who's a doctor or a lawyer. What's, 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 the, what's the difference? Or a bus driver or a school teacher. I went to the military because I'd gotten drafted, so I volunteered for the Air Force. But I was in high school and my high school counselor told me, and I took a college preparatory courses, so I wanted to go to college. And when I went in to see my counselor, he said, I see here, Walter, um, and I'm just 17 years old. I see that you want to go to college. I said, yes. And you're the college counselor? He said, yes. His name was Mr. McCracken. Never will forget it. Mr. McCracken, he said, yeah, I want to go to college. He said, well, come in here. He said, these are the courses that you need to take in high school. He said, because I don't think you should go to college. I think you should join the Army. That was my counseling in Pontiac, Michigan High School. Don't go to college. Go join the Army. I finished uh, high school, went into the military because I was avoiding the draft, I went into the Air Force. I was four years in, in, in Germany in the Air Force as a cryptographer, broke, breaking and decoding uh, 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 messages, top secret messages. Came out of the Air Force, went to uh, college, graduated from college, played professional football, was invited to the high school to speak to high school students by who? Mr. McCracken the same white man who told me I shouldn't go to college 
I should go to the army. In that seven-year period, how many other black men or black girls has he directed? Can't escape it, but you got to adjust to it. You got to make your adjustment. So that's the best uh, yeah, that so. I can respond to that situation. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to ask um, uh, one last question, then I'll take my uh, answer off the line. Um, no, no. Have you um, have you uh, read the United Independent Compensatory Code System concept um, in its entirety? And um, if so, do you feel like you have a, a comprehensive understanding of racism, white supremacy? Now, I, I'm um, looking directly. I'm looking directly at. I'm looking directly at the book now by Neely Fuller. Uh, uh, I've read it. I'm not thinking said that I comprehend it all uh, any more than uh, my my uh, intellect will let, let let me do let me do so. But I'm I'm looking at uh, at Neely Fuller's book. I'm looking at the Black Man of the Nile by 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 Dr. Ben. I'm looking at the the, the uh, uh, Euro by uh, uh, Donna Marimba. I'm looking at uh, Dr. Malana Karinga's, uh, which I thought was the most uh, uh, Kawaida by Dr. Moringa. Uh, I've got with me uh, Bobby Wright's book on the psychopathic ratio racial personality of the European. So I do a lot of reading. So I I, uh, uh, I like being on this program because he, uh, uh, Mr. Johnson talks about, uh, uh, you got to read. You got to read and study. If you don't understand uh, where you are on this planet. So uh, it's very important. Like I said, the read is good. But to think is better, and I developed a, a particular philosophy or principle or theory that I live by, uh, what I call ZGR, zero-grade reliance. I don't rely on certain information or books by certain people. See, I don't uh, want to read a book that's not going to be addressing uh, that aspect of, of truth and understanding. So uh, I have that book right in front of me and I think everyone should read it. And I think everyone should uh, also out there in Seattle try to listen to this program because uh, it's been uh, uh, very positive uh, for the few times that I've heard it. And, uh, but the struggle continues. Much obliged, Ari. I guess we can get our we can sneak our last caller in. Uh, the person do, do, do. zero seven six seven zero seven six seven. If you had a question uh, for Mr. Beach, you should be with us. Uh, greetings, Gus, and uh, hello, Mr. Beach. Um, yes, hello. My my question is: uh, Is your son's name Darren? Yes, it is. Darren Anthony Beach. Yeah, I played uh, a little sandlot football with him years ago when uh, we were children. <laughs> and uh, I lived uh, 
lived in Cleveland uh, on the same street as Ernie Green. And oh wow! We really, we really looked up to you guys. Uh, also, uh, Mr. Wooten, John Wooten. Yeah, John Wooten. Yeah, it was about it was twelve of us son on the team. Yeah, and uh, I met you, and uh, I just wanted to say uh, how impressed I am with uh, with you and how much I've learned from this program. How much more than a football player that you really are. And, uh, I wasn't close with your son, but you know there was a kid named Curtis. Well, I think his mm -hmm. his uh, brother or family member also was in the uh, Browns organization. So that's how I got to meet some. Yeah, of yeah, let, yeah. Okay. I visit him, <laughs> and I think yeah, well, let me let that out. He, he, he recruited your son. To okay. Play. What's your name? Because I'm gonna have Darren. I'm gonna call him later this evening and and let him know that I spoke to to you. My name is Phil. And, Phil. You uh, probably remember that who was Ernie Green's son too. Oh, okay. Uh, Zach Green. He was Ernie Green's son. Yeah, Ernie Green. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that was the only two, but yeah, he. Interesting how I remember his name, you know, you know meaning a player's son. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Football with a player's son is kind of surreal, but uh, it's a fond memory of mine. And, uh, okay, thank you, I, sir. I just, I'm glad I was able to speak with you, Mr. Mr. Beach. No, no, uh, Phil, I'll make him your last name. Young, while you and you. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll I'll mention that to Darren. Uh, he lives in um, Dearborn, Michigan, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, he's um, a director in charge of the Bart bus system. So he's a he's a fine young man. My my other son we just talked yeah. to, Arif. And Darren, you know, so I'm I'm blessed to have uh, those individuals uh, part of my life. That right, is. Well, thanks, thanks, Mr. Appreciate okay, it. thank you, thank Phil. You, uh, mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Mr. Young, for dialing in. That is amazing. <laughs> Context of white supremacy. Yeah. Uh, I did not want to uh, take up your entire evening. Uh, I'm so thankful that you were able to, to take up uh, some time and share some of your insight. I guess uh, quickly before I let you go, did, were, were you able to see the documentary that was just released on uh, Mr. Ali? I know you've been out of the country, so you might not have had TV watching time. No, when was it? When was it? I'm not. I haven't seen the, the documentary. Uh, LeBron James was the executive producer. Uh, it's like a two-part series. It's about three hours. It has a lot of archival uh, footage about the cause you were supporting him with, uh, not going to Vietnam. Uh, but it just came out within the last few weeks or so. They were doing the promos a lot, the commercials for it and such. Uh, I'm sure the recast of it is probably available uh, by now. But it just, it just, I haven't even seen it yet. It's pretty new. It just came out this month, I think. Um, yeah, well, that's good. You know, I'm, I'm not much of a, a voyeur. I don't watch too much uh, television. 
except uh, I get caught off into those espionage uh, and foreign movies. <laughs> and I think my wife and I can watch one in a minute. Oh, well, we will not uh, delay that. I guess, did I have uh, one last one? I guess if okay, I... Okay, okay. My last one I was going to sneak in, we had a caller who is looking for Ohio history and you participated. Are there any books or resources that you would steer one to if they said, hey, I would like to know uh, about the history of racism in Ohio or things that a black person who lives in Ohio should know? Is there any resource or book you would point them to? I don't have no specific books, but it's, it's, it's akin to the, to the question that the young lady asked me earlier. Uh, racism is not unique to Cleveland or Ohio. Racism is an American phenomenon. So the actions and, and, and behavior and, 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 and the paradigm exists. And uh, uh, you can uh, interface it anywhere in the country, like I said, anywhere on the planet. That's part of the whole mystery that I think that uh, uh, Neely Fuller uh, is talking about is demystifying it, taking the mystery out of it, and uh, being uh, 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 the, the, our, our people uh, uh, often get caught up into mythology and allegories and stories, uh, and uh, following uh, and right. believing in stuff that don't really exist sometimes. Much obliged uh, again. Uh, he served in the United States Air Force, uh, won a championship with the Cleveland Browns, teammate of Jim Brown, supported Muhammad Ali in his refusal to be inducted in the draft. Just got back from Cuba. So much insight. Uh, we are so thankful uh, that you were able to share a bit of your time, energy with us this evening, Mr. Beach. Always a pleasure to have you on the broadcast. Hopefully we'll be able to have you back soon. Uh, I will definitely be looking out uh, for your son so that we can stay in contact. And hopefully we'll be able to have you back on the program in the future, sir. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Johnson. And uh, I enjoy uh, sharing whatever uh, information I can make available to you. Absolutely. My best to your wife. Uh, please go enjoy your film or the rest of whatever you're going to do with your Wednesday evening. Uh, take excellent care of yourself and uh, we will speak with you soon, Mr. Beach. Thank you very kindly. Take care. Context of white supremacy. The great Walter Beach, also an author, uh, author of Consider This. I uh, he said he's working on The Sting of the Whip. Uh, should be out sometime soon. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have him back with us on the program. Uh, we should be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, James Lowen, suspected racist. His book, Sundown Towns, A Hidden Dimension of American Racism. I think we have two, max three sessions before we'll be done. So getting to the conclusion uh some parts of it have been more enjoyable, more informative than others, but that's the way with any book, pretty much. Uh, looking forward to seeing what tomorrow brings. Workplace racism will be here on Friday. Mr. Beach just gave us some great uh, sections right there uh, that all would qualify for workplace racism. I'm trying to make him go out and play when his uh, Achilles was hurt. And oh, you're a troublemaker. You should be grateful. 
we brought you in here. We heard what you did up there in New England. All of that, we can make that a little sound clip right there for workplace uh, racism. But I think that's uh, important. Uh, we talk about that. Cut it off at the knees. That was his swearing when he was with us the last time. Cut it off at the knees. Not letting things get started. The mistreatment, any sort of people being discourteous or violating policy, mistreating you in any way. Stop it immediately. Uh, but we will be here uh, tomorrow, Friday and Saturday for the compensatory call in. Uh, if you have questions, suggestions, gripes, feel free. Drop an email until justice at Gmail dot com. With that, uh, unless folks had a quick comment they need to get in before we wrap up that you can do in 30 seconds or less. I have one guy. Big victim in Alabama. Yes, uh, I think um, I've been listening, and I think his his son. Uh, I think he 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 kind of uh, took me. He, he I think he misunderstood me, uh, but it was informative, you know. BGQ. I gave him BGQ. But it was very informative. Uh, I'm still a victim. (laughs) Thank you for letting me share. I'm still a victim too. Uh, Still learning. Still a victim. And trying to solve that problem as soon as possible. Uh, I definitely do appreciate and, and have a lot of regard for anyone who can repair and keep a car that is 50, 60, 70 year olds operating. Wow, that takes some expertise that I do not have. Uh, But I do recognize in the system of white supremacy that that does seem like, oh, wow, you have been forced into that ingenuity by a system that is willfully depriving you of resources. That seems to be, you know, what's happening. Anywho, uh, we'll be be here manana. In uh, trying to understand this here global problem that is causing so many issues uh, worldwide. Uh, again, until justice at gmail.com, if you have another thought or question. That was so wacky, him just getting back from Cuba. They just, I mean, that the timing of that is, is amazing. Uh, might be worthwhile just to get some more of his uh, experiences and his whole family, what they, what they saw, what they uh, experienced uh, being down on the island. But anywho, uh, glad folks were able to dial in and get their questions from Mr. Beach uh, and his son. Uh, hope it was worthy of your Wednesday evening. Sobriety would be best. I forgot to emphasize. I think Mr. Beach is about sobriety as well. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Uh, let's do all that we can to preserve our brain computers so that we can go about the business of solving the problem. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled up each and every time we are in a vehicle driver or passenger let's do all that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers badge or no and staying off the cell phone real easy one they do look for a lot of things to cause problems for black people that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect 
at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. Goodbye. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.